Oh, hey. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Cocktai Podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm really excited to be chatting today with Emma Wakelin. She's a talented performer and a lifelong gamer. But first, the news. Cyberpunk Red, the latest incarnation of the tabletop role-playing game by R. Talsorian Games, finally has a confirmed release date. Now, R. Talsorian released a jumpstart kit at Gen Con in August, which whet players' appetite for the revised rule set and gave them a bit of a peek into what's to come. But now we know. The book is 456 pages long and is going to release just in time for Cyberpunk 2077, the video game. The digital edition of Cyberpunk Red, the RPG game, launches on November 14th, with the physical edition hitting stores on November the 19th, which is the same day as Cyberpunk 2077. I'll have a bit more of news of a more personal nature during my interview with Emma on Cyberpunk. This past weekend, friend to the show Lily Sparks did a birthday fundraiser for Little Warriors, which is a charity focused on awareness, prevention, and the treatment of child sexual abuse. Little Warriors operates a number of programs, including a ranch, where victims of abuse are able to enter a comprehensive treatment program. Little Warriors, like many charities, has seen its income vastly ravaged by COVID and its effects on the economy. However, Lily was able to raise almost $3,000 at the time of this recording, which is more than triple her original goal. Congrats, Lily, and everyone who participated. To find out more about this amazing charity, visit littlewarriors.ca. I'll include a link to their website in the show notes. Now about my guest, Emma Wakelin is a talented actor, comedian, and improviser who's been featured in TV shows and commercials in Canada and around the world. She's a radio personality, and she loves Dungeons & Dragons. Full disclosure, she and I have been friends for almost 20 years. You might recognize her as Dr. Mordek from Game 2 of Quest for the Cure, where she played alongside B. Dave Walters, Sam Maggs, Amy Lindezura, Eric Morden, and Ed Greenwood himself. I'm really excited for you to hear my chat with Emma Wakelin. Hey, Emma, thanks for joining me. Hi, Gary. Thanks for having me. So uh, I'd like to talk to you. What was your first experience with Dungeons and Dragons? You've been playing for a long time. What, what was your first game like? Oh gosh, that's a great question. It was actually um, back around 1991. Um, my uh, my uh, my mother was um, dating a man who whose sons were about my age, and they had been playing D and D for well since the the mid 80s, and I had discovered some of their their notes and their their books and uh, i was fascinated by it so i i just poured over these books one weekend and just kind of fell in love with the idea of this um this idea of creating stories and, and characters uh, from scratch and then i finally convinced um um andrew who was uh the the, the son closest to my age to to run me through a game so my very first D game was with uh, my mom and her boyfriend and uh, Angie was her DM and we played Castle Amber, the, the my, which still remains one of my favorite mods uh, to run because um, it's just so absurd. Um, but yeah, so that was uh, that was my very first D and D game. Do you do you have any memories that really resonate with you still from that game? Yeah, absolutely. I, I remember. So the the very first room that uh, we entered, where uh, there was actually something other than just an empty room, uh, was this 
boxing rings set up um, uh, and there were, uh, uh, no, sorry, that was the next room. The first room was this large uh, room with, with uh, a bunch of gnolls sleeping <laughs> in the, the corner. And I had no idea what a knoll was. Um, and uh, so uh, it was described as these dog-like figures kind of sleeping in the corner. So I just innocently announced that I was going to walk up and just give them a poke. Uh, and I remember uh, my mother mocking me, poke, 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 poke. And then immediately learning what initiative was because uh, <laughs> I had just uh, woken up about 10 uh, knolls from slumber. So that was my first experience with combat and uh, D&D. Nice. That's great. So over time, uh, your love for D&D grew and you're actually made an administrator for one of D&D's organized play campaigns, Living Greyhawk, which ran from, I don't know, about 2001 to 2008 or so. How did you get involved in organized play? What was Living Greyhawk and, and what was your role specifically in organizing it? Yeah, Living Greyhawk was such a fun campaign. Um, yeah. And uh, I was introduced through it through a store play. Uh, I was really heavily into Mage Night at the time. Uh, so mm -hmm. this is 2001-ish. And uh, my friend Corey and I were really heavily into Mage Night. We would play at um, this game shop in Barrie, Ontario, um, the Gamer's Lair, and we, which is no longer there. But we, we would... I would notice that there was always a few tables of um, people playing D&D &D and, and I'd hungered for D&D. &D. At, at that point, we hadn't really played it in a while. I didn't have a lot of experience with 3.0 at the, at the time. Right. Um, I was, we had always played second edition. We got tired of second edition in the late 80s so, or late 90s. So, um, but then, so I, I asked if I could join a game and that's where I created uh, my, my very first Living Greyhawk character, which was a, a ranger named Corpheus, mm -hmm. uh, which was named after a Mage Knight um, uh, uh, figure. Um, second, <laughs> second best archer in Cat. Yeah, second, uh, no, uh, best um, both archer and a horseman in Cat. Mm -hmm. uh, we, can, we can debate that. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, so yeah, so I started playing, got very much involved with, uh, with the Barry crew um, playing Living Greyhawk. And then right. I met um, uh, some of the, uh, the administrators. So for, so in Living Greyhawk, it was really unique and, and I loved it that they, they split up the regions um, or the, the administrative areas for Living Greyhawk to mm -hmm. reflect real life geography. So um, for instance, if you lived in uh, Texas, you were assigned a country in, in the world of Greyhawk um, or a kingdom in the world of Greyhawk. Uh, so for Eastern Canada, we had our own region, which was Ket. Um, so I played, um, I started playing with some of the, the administrators of, um, of Eastern Canada, of Ket, um, and then uh, built those relationships and eventually um, was asked to join mm -hmm. um, the triad as, as we were called, because there's three of us in each of the, the regions. Um, so for, for a few years, I, um, I, I was very happily involved with administrating uh, the Living Greyhawk a campaign in Eastern Canada, which was everything from Manitoba East except for Quebec. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it was uh, a lot of fun. We met, I, I was very blessed to meet hundreds of people, became friends with uh, people I'm still friends with today. I, I, I really think quite fondly back on Living Greyhawk. I thought they did a wonderful job. They're doing a wonderful job now. I'm, um, I'm not taking away from um, Adventures League at all, um, but I, I do fondly recall um, and look back upon Living Greyhawk. 
Yeah, and of course that's where that's where you and I met as well uh, through yeah, through right. Living Greyhawk through conventions. So very very thankful for it in that way because I, I do need. Let's n- let's not cast dispersions on Living Greyhawk and uh, blame them for for that relationship. Well, I, I think what we need, we need to recognize is that uh, Greyhawk has blessed you in more ways than one. Um, so how has Dungeons and Dragons impacted your life overall? So you've been playing for a long time and you were an administrator and and you still play fairly regularly. How would you say the game has impacted you? Oh, that's a very hard question to answer. I think and quantify, I, I, I I I think the easiest answer and probably what most people would, um, answer with is that uh, it gives you a creative outlet uh, to, to develop um, and, and gain confidence in your own creativity. And, and I think it's certainly helped me in, in my uh, professional life, mm-hmm. uh, both as uh, in a field where um, uh, being creative and thinking on the spot and um, organizing uh, is important, but also in, in my other professional life as, as, uh, as a performer, as a comedian, it, it um, just the, the many decades of creating characters and, and voices and uh, enriching those uh, NPCs has translated into comedy and, and, and acting. Uh, I, I think um, there, there are many, um, uh, processes and in theories in, in, in comedy and in character building is what they call it. And, and coming with a backstory and, and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, that all came very easy to me because that's basically what we've been doing in D and D for many decades. So if, if you're, uh, been building an NPC or if you're building a player character, you, you're basically doing the Stanislav method or, or whatever it's called, or the, uh, the, the actor studio method, uh, for, uh, so you're you're probably you're doing just as well as um, as William Defoe or whatever. So. <laughs> right. So you 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 sort of touched on something I wanted to chat with you about because you, over the last ten or, or fifteen years or so you've been you've been training as a comedian as a, as a stand up as as an improviser you've been involved in uh, TV commercials. How has your training as a comedian changed your approach to Dungeons and Dragons, if at all? Oh, it certainly has. Uh, certainly has. Um, I, I think um, the, one of the principal um, philosophies behind improv, and it's something they, they draw me into you at the Second City, where I studied um, uh, at the training center and, and graduated from the conservatory program, um, was the the philosophy of yes ending. Mm-hmm. So um, taking. Uh, an idea or, or someone, your scene partner and whatever they throw at you, you, you go along with and you build upon that. So it's that, yes, of course. And I will build onto that. So that translates very easily and successfully into Dungeons and Dragons or, or any role-playing game where um, you understand that it's, it's not a game of just rolling a dice and, and mathematical outcomes. It's, it's storytelling. It's uh, building an experience for everyone at the table. So uh, it, you know, it, it's celebrating the offers and the gifts that your fellow player or your dungeon master is giving you and building right. upon that to, to build that shared experience and story. It's, it's, um, it, it really goes hand in hand. And of course, other than that, I mean, just the personal experience of, uh, and joy of, of creating the story as a, a DM, um, 
being able to create characters and, and richly kind of um, amplifying those uh, those characteristics of the of the NPCs and the, the environment is very valuable. And, and Matt Mercer takes that to to an nth degree, of course. Um, mm -hmm. But you don't um, you don't have to have his production values to do that. Uh, you know, just sometimes a, a funny voice, um, like with my character Mordak. I, I, <laughs> so enjoyable just because he has that dumb catchphrase and, and that sort of that dumb voice and that's not something i have to spend thousands of dollars on um to to create those memories yeah and it's funny because you know in in some ways D, &D is scripted and in some ways of course it's improvised because D, D is a world players can go anywhere and as a dungeon master you have to be ready for that but you know when i was in theater school i was terrible at improv I was, I didn't make the improv team. I was always a good actor and, and, you know, I was in plays and stuff, but never improv. I was terrible at it, but you put me behind a DM screen and I think I can, I can roll with any punch. So it's, 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 it's interesting that, that I have that experience with Dungeons and Dragons. So. It's yeah. Just, and I, I think that's a, that's a common theme and it's, it's really about um, building self self-esteem. Uh, and I think that's why, D and D classes. Um, certainly, when I was going back in the eighties and nineties, they were they were so um, popular uh, and and used as a tool for um, drawing confidence in the kids and mm -hmm. allowing them to express themselves. So, um, and, and without that judgment of you know a, a theater director or a, yeah. <laughs> or classmates where there's, yeah. there's competition. Um, yeah. So yeah, absolutely. So you were recently one of our cast members for Quest for the Cure, which was, for those who don't know, a live play game that supported Duchenne muscular dystrophy research. You were joined by B. Dave Walters, Sam Maggs, Amy Lindazura, and Ed Greenwood. How did you enjoy the game, and what was it like playing with those amazing folks? <laughs> yeah, that, that's a, it, it was a lot. It was a lot of fun. I mean, just uh, all of those um, those folks, uh, you know, bring amazing backgrounds to the table uh, uh and as a someone who's been playing DD since the the early 90s uh having ed at the table was just um just an honor and a and a dream come true but I, I i think going into it i was obviously quite nervous and intimidated but i i, I think uh, just like we were talking about um drawing upon skills to um your own skills and self-confidence uh, to, to go in there. I, um, I was able to draw upon that sort of skill set that I, I've had as, as a performer. And I, I went in purposely choosing uh, Mordek, which is a character I've had since uh, the Living Great Hawk years, just so yeah. I had a comfort zone. Um, and, and I think that's a great tip for anyone if you're, you're going into a, um, and it doesn't matter if it's a D&D &D game or if you're going on stage, just have that, um, something that brings you comfort and um it's not a it's it 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 allows you to just kind of lean on something that uh gives gives you a bit of comfort zone so yeah having mordek there was a lot of fun so i was i had that i didn't have to create something on the spot uh necessarily i and uh, i thought it it um it played quite well at the table. So. I, I I agree i think uh dr mordek was much appreciated particularly by by amy um <laughs> I, I, yeah. And, um, I think it, it was a really good, it was a really good time. So, and over the course of the weekend, you know, we were able to raise $6,000 for the cause, um, through all of the streams that we did and, and some of the Dungeons and Dragons Adventures League that we ran and, and the silent auction. 
why do you think that Dungeons and Dragons has become such an effective vehicle for charitable fundraising, especially over the last few years? Well, it, it's for one thing, I, I think I've had quite a bit of ex professional experience in fundraising. Um, and uh, part of the, the difficulties in fundraising is just the cost of mounting a campaign or, or an event, um, uh, which eats, of course, um, into your, your profits and, and uh, the challenge of selling tickets. Uh, the other thing is um, we've all been to these rubber chicken dinners. They're boring and they're, they're the same, uh, the same rubber chicken dinner you had for um, MS is the same rubber chicken dinner you had for breast cancer that you've had for a political event. Um, you've had them all through those. So I think D&D right now, um, it, it's, it's exciting right now. It's very popular, um, but it's also fun. Um, and that's something that's missing a lot in, um, uh, in, in fundraising. So anytime that you're able to build an experience where, where people can relate to that and, and be engaged uh, or enraptured, um, I, I think that's a, a recipe for, uh, for success in fundraising and D&D lends itself to that uh, quite well. Right. Yeah. And it's cheap to do. I, again, on my first point, like um, pu putting, uh, putting a game together um, and, and hosting it online or, or, or at a, a convention, it, like it doesn't cost tens of thousands of dollars to do that. So um, and and I, I think that just it also leads to like a, a good portion of the of the D and D player base are are empathetic people um, mm -hmm. to be able to create stories on the whim or create characters and, and relate to other people. You need to have a baseline of empathy, and uh, I think that uh, is quite evident in our community. Yeah, I, I I think you're right. Everybody was so generous and particularly the cast who jumped in and all the people who donated and, and our amazing sponsors like Libra Sarcana and Norse Foundry and D&D Beyond, all of them who just sort of jumped in to donate so many amazing prizes and encourage fundraising. It was, it was pretty great. And I'm, I'm really proud of the work we were able to do together. And, you know, I'm really excited to uh, announce what we're doing soon because I don't want to give away too many details, but the quest for the cure does continue. And, and we'll talk about that more as we as we get closer to the date but um hold hold december 5th is is all I'm, I'm telling the folks listening to this podcast um but you aren't just a DD player you've got lots of experience with other systems like Shadowrun and cyberpunk and savage worlds too right yeah that's i i find myself to be a, a collector some people collect wines and uh cars i collect the role-playing games uh, <laughs> majority of which i never play uh, have an opportunity to play but yeah i i love cyberpunk i've been playing that since uh, 1992 or 1993 that's it's a game that holds a big part of my life in the late 90s i played a lot of vampire um which i had a lot of fun with um because i think that was the one of the first systems that really emphasized role-playing as opposed yeah. to just uh, mechanics. Um, Shadowrun was a lot of fun because I felt that that kind of combined D&D &D with Cyberpunk quite well, although uh, the, the mechanics can get a little tiresome when you're, you're trying to figure out if you're rolling 36d6 <laughs> or 18d6 yeah um, but um gurps uh, i tried gurps uh found after i spent three hours on character creation i figured you know what this game might be a little too complicated but yeah i played dozens and dozens of games each of them 
Um, some of them hold a great um, part of my heart, like cyberpunk, and some of them are collecting dust on my shelves, but uh, I will never part with them because they're, they're uh, like Aces and Eights is an example. I've, I always wanted to play a Western game and I, and I bought the book and it's gorgeous and, and the folks at Kenzer did a great job putting together, but it is uh, it's so complicated and I've never been able to crack, crack that nut. So. Oh no, uh, you, you've, you've forgotten the, uh, the glory of Durango Jorge. We did, <laughs> we did, we did a session zero for Aces and Eights. I just don't think we ever actually, no, we did. We, we played a session zero and we had one game of yeah. Aces and Eights. Uh, it was you, uh, it was me, it was Drew Moore, and, uh, and and we tried it out. We were supposed to get one more person, but they didn't show up, and we just went with two, and then uh, we we put it on the shelf to gather dust after that. Yeah, that's right. I, it, it, it's, uh, it, and this is why I love collecting role-playing games. It, I, it, to me, Ace and Ace was valuable because I had a few mini games that I've adapted into uh, other, into my D&D games and, mm-hmm. and uh, other stuff, and um, I... I also love uh, it, Savage Worlds is another system I've been playing a lot lately, and I think they do a, a brilliant thing with their what they call the dramatic task, mm-hmm. um, which is something I I, I would love to um, adopt into my my home D and D campaigns and uh, my cyberpunk campaigns. And it's the idea, you know, you have um, a dramatic task, like it's a heist or it's a car chase, and you you basically I don't want to go into the mechanics, but you, you have five or six different opportunities to pass a test and you give each player an opportunity to say, okay, how are you, what skill are you going to use to, and describe your action to try to help your team um, succeed in this task. And mm-hmm. you, then uh, you roll to see if they're successful. And once your team gets a certain amount of successes, then uh, the, the, the dramatic task is resolved or if they fail, it's, it's resolved the other way. But right. I just love how that heightens the tension and, and um, it allows everyone to shine individually. Um, so um, I really like that aspect of Savage Worlds where their philosophy is fast, furious and fun. And um, uh, like I said, like use the, the books that you have to adapt whatever home system. If you're a D&D player or you're a cyberpunk player, use, feel free to ad- adapt those ideas or whatever works for you into those campaigns. Um, I happen to think that D&D is the best system for fantasy. Uh, I don't think any system uh, comes close to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so every now and then I'll, I'll I'll take an opportunity to just tweak it a little bit, but um, it's pretty perfect the way it is. But yeah, branch out, check out other game systems, uh, support small um, small creators. A friend of mine, Andy Hopp, has a Savage World setting called Low Life, which is just a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, I, I just, I, I love the idea of supporting um, friends who create um, and whether it's writing modules like you've done a lot, Gary, or somebody who's created a system or, or a game. There's just so much out there. Support your friends, support um, creators. Yeah. And the thing about the community in general is that it is very small. So you, it will eventually bump into a lot of these amazing creators and chat with them. I, I last week or the week before I, I spoke with Andrew Bishkinski and he's a, he's written a lot of adventures for adventures league. And, and we met playing adventures league in the same way that you and I met playing living Greyhawk, uh, the same way that I met Andy. Uh, I met Andy through you. So it's, 
it's one of those opportunities where the community is small and it's so generous and you know you meet these amazing folks and you who you'd never have an opportunity to meet otherwise so it's 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 we're we're a unique community in that we're able to interact with our with our um with folks and gain access to their their stuff. yeah and that's the the beauty thing about this this community and, and one of the things i with with the, the pandemic right now, I'm, I'm, I regret is that we can't have these little conventions, yeah. um, yeah. Uh, gaming conventions all over the place, and and not just the Gen Cons and the um, the Winter Fantasies and the such, but it's the those those smaller regional cons. Like Andy runs one in, in Ohio called Con on the Cob, which is just a lot of fun. Um, and the the conventions that we used to go to and live in Greyhawk, I, I think I can remember all of those trips, and we we made so many of them. Um, that uh and the, and you in the the car rides down and the friendships you make yeah. uh uh some of the relationships i've made in the uh in role-playing games has just mm -hmm. uh, been some of the most rewarding in my life and i i cannot wait till we're all able to have these conventions again safely and and see my friends that i haven't had a chance to see um, yeah. since uh, march or, or february so yeah, definitely. Oh, I mean, the online uh, alternatives have been great. And uh, gosh, it's just a testament to our community, how adaptive we are. Mm -hmm. I think that's, um, that comes from our, our role-playing um, experience yeah. um, that we're able yeah. to adapt. But uh, there, nothing beats a vendor hall or, um, or grab, going to a food truck and grab some food and bringing back a plate of ridiculous food to a gaming table. And yeah and playing with uh, five people you really haven't met before, those that you've been friends with for 20 years. It's, it's such a great experience and I miss it so much. Yeah. And uh, don't forget playing at Midnight Madness, which was always, always my favorite. Um, yeah. Well, I, I might be a little too old for that anymore. I'm, I'm definitely too old for that. I, I was driving last night at midnight. I had to punch myself in the leg for an hour to keep myself awake. Yeah, um, I do the face lock. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So you're working on something really cool right now. I know that you're sort of, you've got something neat in the background. What, what can you share about your top secret project? My top secret? Well, it's not so much top secret that uh, <laughs> we're about to talk about it on the World Wide Web. And I'm yes. sure you have millions of viewers. So. <laughs> the millions and millions of folks who are going to listen to this podcast are yeah, getting the, right. the revelation right here first. <laughs> that's right the, um yeah so um actually with uh with gary involved we're starting a cyberpunk campaign that uh, we're hoping to turn into a podcast or some sort of um streamed or broadcast um uh event uh, or campaign um it, uh, it exciting for me is that uh, next month or uh, in November, because uh, people will be listening to this uh, in the future, because mm -hmm. uh, the mysterious ways of the internet um, and time travel. But yeah, so Cyberpunk um, Red gets released officially, the role-playing game that in November of 2020, mm -hmm. uh, sort of on the same timeline that the video game, the highly anticipated uh, video game Cyberpunk 2077 gets released. And I think that synergy will be explosive for cyberpunk. I'm very excited as a long time our Tesslorian fans or Tesslorian fan um, to, to see that opportunity for that uh, gaming company and for the role-playing game cyberpunk. Mm -hmm. I think it's going to be extraordinary for it. Um, and I'm very excited to, to have this campaign uh, kind of launch at the same time as that. So that, um, 
we can share in that uh, excitement and, and experience. Um, so, yeah, um, Gary's going to be one of the players. We have uh, about three other players who are amazing um, that we'll be announcing soon. Um, and we hope to have um, uh, weekly um, episodes uh, and at least one monthly talking red, if you will, <laughs> where we will talk about our campaign. We'll talk about um, cyberpunk in general, maybe talk about the video game and, and have some exciting guests. So uh, very much looking forward to that and uh, excited about the possibilities. Well, uh, thanks. Thanks for announcing it here first on, on the Cock Die podcast, Emma. I really appreciate it. <laughs> well, uh, um, thanks for giving me a chance. And I forgot, it's, it's uh, tentatively titled uh, Cyberpunk Independence, because um, uh, what I love about cyberpunk is that whole um, philosophy of transhumanism and how do uh, humans, how can we control, take control or autonomy of our own bodies and our own fates, yet still combat sort of the corporate overlords uh or government overlords that um uh in, in the dystopian future uh which more and more these days kind of seems more instead of dystopian actually being realistic so yeah. um yeah. um i'm very excited to kind of explore those themes and, and see where we can we, we can um go from there yeah, I'm, I'm very excited. So everybody can look out for more information on cyberpunk independence coming in the next few weeks. But Emma, thanks so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Oh, thanks, Gary. This has been a blast. I hope uh, you have me back at some point. Um, and uh, it was great to chat with you. And uh, yeah. Absolutely. We'll talk again soon. Thanks, Emma. All right. Thanks, Gary. And that's our show for today. Thanks for listening. And remember, if the die is cocked, it doesn't count.